Welcome to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women. Each week, we feature interviews, information, and inspiration that will motivate you to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. My name is Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, selfless syndrome expert, board-certified women's health coach, alternative medicine practitioner, retired chiropractor, wife, mom, and entrepreneur. I specialize in health for busy and driven women. Listen weekly as I share the tools, perspective, and knowledge you need to lose weight, boost your energy, and fall in love with yourself so that you can serve the world with an even bigger impact. Hello, welcome back to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women. I'm really excited to be joined today by Jennifer, I just realized, how do you pronounce your name? Hello, welcome back to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Jennifer Fugo. Jennifer is a clinical nutritionist empowering adults who've been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin and unending gut challenges. She has experience working with conditions such as eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, dandruff, and highs with clientele ranging from regular folks to celebrities and professional athletes. Jennifer also founded her own line of skincare and supplements available at the quellshop.com, specifically for people struggling with these chronic skin issues. She holds a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and certified nutrition specialist. Her work has been featured on Dr. Oz, Reuters, Yahoo, CNN, and many podcasts and summits. She's a faculty member of the Learn Skin platform, and an Amazon bestselling author and host of The Healthy Skin Show. So Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I shared with you before we started, you know, I haven't really, I talk a lot about gut health and other stuff, but I haven't really talked specifically about skin on the show. And I'm excited to dive into this because I know it's something that affects a lot of my clients. And there's, there's a lot of people in the world who deal with skin stuff and it can be one of those things that's embarrassing and you know challenging and frustrating and all of those things so before we dive into all things skin and you know glean as much knowledge from you as we can i i love to just get to know you know how you got into doing what you do well basically i had eczema <laughs> like <laughs> i mean I, I think it's hard for most people unless you are supporting like a child or a spouse or someone close to you who ha- is going through this i think it's very difficult for a random person, unfortunately, to just understand the level of suffering that some people go through. Um, I'm not going to claim to have had some severe, severe, extreme case that put me out of work and whatnot. I've worked with people who have been in those, those situations. And um, my experience was really with a, a form of eczema called dyshydratic eczema that impacted the palms of my hands. And I was in grad school I was under a ton of stress, <laughs> you know, uh, you had asked me about stress beforehand. I was under a ton of stress. Um, and I, it was the first time in my life that I really ever had eczema. I didn't even know what it was because it looked so weird. It looked like these little clear beads almost under the skin that I was like, what is that? It didn't itch or anything. And then at a certain point, I don't remember when it, it was get, coming into summer. So it's very hot and humid, usually in the summers where I live. And the skin started to get itchy and then things started to burn. And then the beat little tiny little bubbles burst. And it was just like, and it felt like there was that insatiable itch that you just couldn't Mm -hmm. stop. Um, And eventually it would start to kind of heal up. It would 
you get this like really dry, flaky skin. The skin would look good for a few days. And then the cycle would start over again. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I, fortunately, my father was a medical doctor. And so he's like, here's some steroid cream. Just use it really sparingly. Like when you really like can't deal with things, but don't overdo it. And, um, my experience, even going to the dermatologist, cause I was like, dad, there's gotta be something else going on. I'm going to go talk to dermatologist. <laughs> it was like, oh boy, it was very shocking. Uh, she told me to put Vaseline on my hands, uh, to keep the moisture in and gave me some Vanny cream and some more steroids. And that was pretty much it. And my initial impression was just like, wait, but aren't we going to figure out what's actually causing this? And there's really no, there's no drive to want to figure that out. I think if you're really, really struggling, a doctor might want to be, might want to look for allergens. Um, you know, the, all the, the regular recommendations of use the free and clear products, you know, don't use gloves when you wash your dishes, yada, 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 but like nothing was helping. And I'd already done all of that. And so my journey was literally feeling like I, I mean, I don't, not everyone experiences eczema on their hands and on the palms of their feet. And until you do, you don't realize the very basic things that you do on a daily basis that involve those two areas. And so for some people with eczema or psoriasis or really deep cracking and such on the the soles of the feet can be extremely painful to move about with eczema on your, the palm of your hands. It's hard to turn doorknobs. It's hard to pick things up. It's hard to touch anything because water, just water, not even soap water alone burns so badly. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you take, we take for granted so much when our skin barrier function is healthy. And when it's not, it can be more than a nuisance to the point where you may lose sleep. Um, you can really lose a huge amount of self-esteem. You can wake up with blood all over your sheets because you were scratching and literally like just ripping and clawing at your skin in the middle of the night without realizing it. Um, there's so many factors that go into this that, you know, some people go down some pretty extreme rabbit holes of like drastically, drastically changing their diet. Um, I mean, there's so many different avenues that we can talk about. And that was, this was my drive was to say, well, yeah, I was able to figure out. I don't know exactly what caused my issues initially because I put together some, I was in grad school. I, I was like, let me just try this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And it took like six to eight months before any flares even stopped. So I would never recommend what I did. Um, right. But the reality is that it is complex and I do at least understand why what may work for one person doesn't work for somebody else. And, um, also I had started out my practice working with just like gut problems. And I came to realize that skin issues, while they are tied to the gut, a, a good chunk of the time there's, it's, it's not quite the same. Um, there are slight variations that we have to be cognizant of. And also that there's a lot more involved in producing and making healthy skin in your body. It's not just that you eat the perfectly clean diet or that you eat AIP or that you use the right products. It's so much more involved because skin's just not the priority. So um, that's been my real drive is to help illuminate the many different options out there that you might not ever hear at the dermatologist's office um, and to help people see that it just because what worked for Sally didn't work for you, it's okay. It just means that her root causes aren't yours. And there are other ways in to addressing what's going on with your skin. Yeah. I love that. And you 
Harp mentioned so many things that we could dovetail into, but I think what I I really want to start is like, what are, as you've worked with people with skin stuff, um, because I also actually had eczema when I was a kid, I like, and I I know mine was actually related to vaccine injury. um, And I've talked about this on the show before, but you know, I, out of the blue developed allergies, eczema and asthma. And those are like the trifecta of, Hey, your immune system went haywire. And this is just what happened. And mine since cleared up, but what have you found to be, you know, some of the root causes of people dealing with skin issues, if you can really identify some. Yeah. So actually there are 16. 16. (laughs) I know. Well, this is why, this is again, why I said what worked for Sally or worked for Harry might not work for you. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean that you've got like the evil eye or that God hates you or any number of these things that we sometimes feel in our <laughs> worst, darkest moments. And why doesn't this work? Why? Um, and, and that's why, because your combination of issues is different. So For one person, maybe they do legitimately have certain environmental allergies that are driving whatever is going on, or maybe they have a certain allergy to a particular um, naturally occurring chemical that is in certain products or in artificial or, you know, like artificially made products. So that's a possibility. Like there's an allergy to balsam of Peru. I don't have an allergy to balsam of Peru. Most of my clients don't, but then I have some clients that have an allergy to lanolin, which is commonly used in vitamin D supplements and not labeled by the way, as the, the, um, (laughs) as the source material. And so this is where it gets tricky, right? But so Mm -hmm. for someone who said, goes, oh my goodness, I I found out I have an lanolin allergy. Well, for me, that's not going to solve my eczema. I don't have a lanolin allergy. So you end up I feel like with skin, you end up almost like playing Mm whack-a-mole going through this process. You see other people doing, and you go, well, that worked for that person. I'm going to try this. This worked for this person. So in reality, what you want to do is take a step back and say, okay, what of these like very common root cause issues do I probably have? I can tell you right now that most people, if it's a chronic issue, definitely have a phase two liver detox overload. We could talk about what that means, but there is a challenge within phase two detoxification. Many people also have nutrient deficiencies or at least some level of insufficiency. There is most of the time some sort of microbiome dysbiosis. Now that could be in the gut. It could also be on the skin. We have microbiomes in all different places and some some things like parasites, which people can mm-hmm. have, even if they haven't traveled to a third world country, can move. So they may not be yeah. just located in the gut. We then have gut dysfunction. That's another issue. Uh, I do consider diet and food reactions to just be one, one of the 16. That's why I really don't stress staying on elimination diets and fixating on that as the sole like needle mover for this, because Mm -hmm. I work with too many people who've like gotten down to really tiny diets as a result of that. Um, But yeah, trauma, stress, there can be genetic components, thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalances like blood sugar, estrogen dominance, autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. You can have drug reactions, mitochondrial dysfunction, heavy metals, and then environmental toxins, and then also the environmental allergen piece as well. So a lot of things, and all things oddly enough that <laughs> that right. I've talked about on this show. I'm actually a big parasite uh, fan, and have had you know, other people that we've talked about kind of the parasite route. Mm-hmm with on the show as well, but you know, so that's, that's a huge piece, but yeah, I should stress that yeah. not everybody has all 16 of those. That's, right. So yeah. Listen to that yeah. and go, Oh my gosh. It's all <laughs> yeah. It's not, um, it means you want to look for your own 
combo. Most people have like maybe three, four, five, sometimes six in more challenging cases. Um, and that way you can focus on that unique combo and start to see the, the move, the needle move, uh, rather than just like, you know, the whack-a-mole of trying to do what everyone else has done and being like, why am I not getting any better? Yeah. And I think that's a, it's really refreshing to hear just for those who have maybe, you know, tried the diet thing. Cause I, the probably more mainstream, like non-wellness or non-Western has all become like gut health and skin health. They, they go hand in hand. And I love that you say they do, but there's other components to it as well. And yeah. And, and, and to, to your point of mentioning about parasites, like you're not going to eat your way out of a parasitic infection, No, (laughs) you know, like here are some problems that food, as much as I love food and yes, it's, it is wonderful. And food is medicine to a point, but like, mm-hmm. there are some things that food cannot fix. And that's one of the bigger concerns that I have. And then also too, if you have gut dysfunction and say, for example, of low stomach acid or not enough pancreatic enzymes, or for whatever reason, maybe you have diarrhea or constipation. So there's a problem gut function and usually one car accident higher up will cause car accidents further down, as I like to say, but if you can't digest and absorb the food that you're eating. Mm -hmm. And if the nutrient wells are so dry, which a lot of times by the time people actually ask for help, it's usually like they're, they've given up. They're so they've exhausted a lot of the options and they're so fed up. You sometimes you cannot, no matter how good your diet is, you cannot fill those wells up in an efficient manner. So you really do need to consider how do I take this up a step? Is it that we use botanicals, right? Which I guess one could argue is still technically like food is medicine approach, just, you know, cause it's, botan- right. it's herbs. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes we do need to use nutritional supplementation. I work with some clients that have whittled their diets down to five foods. And yeah. I'm like, there's no way you're getting enough protein. There are a lot of their, um, you know, vitamin A, vitamin D, B12, folate are in the, in the gutter. And they're like, well, how, what should I eat? And I'm like, we're beyond that. Like, this is bad. Like you have to fill these wells back up and the time that this is going to take with food is just not conducive to you feeling better. So I, I I think we have to expand that food can fix some things, but not everything. Well, and that's a good point because it's, it's also, you know, and obviously you're a nutritionist, so I'm like actually really excited that we're having this conversation because I've always maintained and, you know, you bring up a good point. Like when your symptoms are bad enough, there's a time and a place to reach for the things that are going to help bring that in check while you work on the other stuff. You know, like if your diet is terrible, obviously, yeah, we need to work on that, but it's, it's a long-term game, you know, in terms of really transforming that and how you do things versus, you know, immediate relief. And so you're more dealing with people that need that. And I think we all have to, you know, at some point make that decision for ourselves of like, Mm -hmm where, where am I <laughs> in this game? And can I take the time to, you know, fix this with food or can, mm-hmm. do I need some extra help too? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that perspective. Just, just <laughs> thought I'd point that out for our listeners. Um, so, you know, what, what are some of the things And obviously we're not going to talk about tr- like how you would treat certain things on here, but like, you know, what, what are some of the nutrients that you find are most depleted in people that you're working with? You mentioned a few folate and, yeah. Um, I will say, so folate's an interesting one. Uh, I see that a lot in folks who do carnivore and who don't eat organ meats, specifically liver. 
So that's always a question when I worked with carnivore clients, because they did carnivore to try to fix mm-hmm. their skin and they're like desperate and really the only time I've ever seen outright low come back on a conventional panel, by the way, um, okay. was somebody were, were people who did carnivore, but did not want to eat organ meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, if you're thinking about doing carnivore, know that you will have serious nutrient depletion show up if you don't do So if you're, if you're like me, and you're not going to do the organ meat, carnivore's not the diet for you. <laughs> and by carnivore, just so I'm clear, um, are we sure. talking like only eating meat, no vegetable? Or are we correct? No okay. fruit, no vegetable, okay. no plant I've matter. Heard about this before. Yeah. Um, it's um it's tough because there are some people that do tend to react to plant different things that are in plants. It can be the fibers, it can be different things, but yeah. My question is always, well, if you're reacting to those things, why? Let's find out yeah. why. Is yeah. there something like, going on in your microbiome that your bugs are reacting or your body, like salicylates, for example, are a naturally occurring um, chemical that's found mm-hmm. in many plant foods. And a lot of times it's used to protect the plant, but there's a whole diet for eczema that's based around this like low salicylate diet. Now, if you have a legit allergy, that's a totally different matter, but most people right. don't. And I'm like, okay, that's not a food sensitivity. That's a phase two liver detox problem because that's where we actually process salicylate. So if that's the case, you need more glycine and you need B6. So why are you just avoiding those really, really healthy foods? You need, this is indicating a nutrient depletion that is functional. Like you need that in order to do these things. We don't make glycine. We don't make B6. So you have to supplement Um, so I think, again, it's, this is where the conversation becomes complex about food and the flip side is too, with going plant-based or vegan. Some people say, oh, my, my skin really cleared up when I went plant-based or vegan. And I'm like, why? (laughs) And nine out of 10 times, the reason it actually cleared up was because they had H pylori and they had other gut bug problems within the GI tract. So H pylori, they they were having trouble breaking down animal protein because of an H pylori infection and low stomach acid. And so removing the meat and other animal products took this perceived burden off of their system. But in actuality, that's not great because that means you're still going to have a problem with getting enough B12, with enough iron, with enough zinc, like avoiding foods. Like whenever it works, I'm always like, ask the question, why, why does this work? Because it actually may point to some bigger underlying issue that needs to be addressed. That's super interesting. And a really good point. I think, you know, we're so driven as a culture and society of like, just make my symptoms go away. And however that happens is usually acceptable, but we don't often pause to ask why. And I love to ask that question. I'm like, okay, well, why, (laughs) why, (laughs) why is this? Like, I just recently, you mentioned estrogen dominance and, you know, I, I'd been dealing with this crazy weight gain stuff that I finally figured out this spring, but I'd gone estrogen dominant and I'm still kind of like, well, why, you know, my stress has been really high. So that's one reason, but I don't think that's the only one. And, you know, sometimes it helps to have someone else look at things objectively and be like, Oh, look at this. Mm -hmm. It does actually. So right now, like, um, I, I, I think I didn't fully appreciate the complexity to, um, I have a large group of clients who have what I call histamine overload, basically, Mm -hmm. It's somebody who's got, and for those listening, you might, you might be like, oh yeah, I think I have a problem with histamine. I take a lot of antihistamines. Maybe you have asthma, maybe you have eczema. So having itchy skin is not 
does not guarantee you have a histamine problem. I've, I've kind of figured this out at this point. That's not a prerequisite, but um, you can have issues like, for example, on a CBC panel, your eosinophils will be high mm-hmm. and your total IgE will be high. So I'll share a client story with you really quickly. Yeah. Uh, I have a client who has eczema on her hands and she has a severe nut allergy. She's known about this allergy since 2009. And so I was like, so she recently had blood work done and her total IgE, which is normally like kind of, you know, how reactive is your system to allergens in this present moment? Like how many allergens are, are you being, well, that's what we assume that it has to do with allergies. Um, you exposed to, well, I said, are you still eating nuts? Like, do you have nuts in your house? And she's like, no, it was so bad. And so severe. We got rid of, I like, I'm not around any nuts at all. And I was like, then why on earth is your total IgE so high? That doesn't make any sense. She had parasites. That's why. Yeah. (laughs) So there's actually a lot of research out there. Unfortunately it's done. And I say, unfortunately, because I feel like there's a lot of dismissal in the United States mm-hmm. about, well, we don't have parasites here. That is factually incorrect. There are reports mm-hmm. in NPR about, I think it was like at Arkansas is like the hookworm capital of the world of the United <laughs> States. And like, there are things happening. There's actually research going on. I think it's somewhere, I think it might be in Portland, Oregon mm-hmm. um, on blasto cystis hominis infections. Like there is a growing problem of parasitic issues here in the United States, but it's being dismissed because a lot of the research is done in third world countries, but the research that is done has shown us that a parasitic infection can actually increase your total IgE by like 40%. And a lot of times doesn't make any sense. So when people have these really high markers, like if I see an elevated eosinophil and the person presents with this kind of histamine overload picture, I'm like, all right, we need to look in the GI tract for sure. Um, We need to do like, we need to figure out, you know, do you have oral allergy syndrome? Some people have pollen allergies and don't realize that they're actually reactive to different herbs or botanicals that they're using, especially when it comes to liver detox, because mm-hmm. for example, ragweed family. So if you have a ragweed allergy, I'm sorry to t- break the news to you, but you can't do liver detox supplements because mm-hmm. milk thistle, dandelion root, and burdock are all in that family. And so your body thinks it's being exposed to ragweed and that's causing a problem. And so you have to address liver detox from a much different perspective, unfortunately. So we can't just say, oh, I got to do a liver detox, got to do it. Like you have to say, is this true for me? What's my situation? And so looking for oral allergy syndrome, where we're kind of having a cross reactive issue with other foods, sometimes like some people say, oh, my mouth gets fuzzy feeling or itchy, or I feel like things are swelling a bit, but not enough that it would drive you to take Benadryl. Those for some people, they might. Um, And it's not something that necessarily would turn into uh, an anaphylactic, but it I'm always like careful. I'm like, I don't mess around with allergies. I'm like, go talk to your doctor, make sure you have the appropriate medication on hand. But this is part of the problem. You have to unravel all of this. And with estrogen dominance, higher levels of estrogen make you more sensitive to histamine, unfortunately. So it's, it's not a hundred percent of cases who have histamine overload have estrogen dominance, but a good portion of them do. And it's also, so I, I should clarify that histamine overload picture can look like chronic hives. So if you have, you have hives, you definitely have like that right there. Yeah. You, you have histamine overload. 
Um, eczema, sometimes. I would say about 40 to 45% of the cases that I see are histamine overload. I think this is another reason why antihistamines don't always work. Sometimes they're not enough to address the issue. And sometimes people don't have a histamine problem. It's actually other issues underneath the surface that we have, we have, we're itchy and stuff. And we just think that it's a histamine problem when it's not. Yeah. Um, and then some very small cases of psoriasis, like I'd say maybe 10 to 15% of psoriasis cases can also be his, have a histamine component. Not all of them do, but some, some can. And rosacea can also have a histamine component for some individuals. But you also have to rule out H. pylori because that can destabilize mast cells. Um, and then looking in the GI tract, like we were talking about how you, mostly you talk about gut stuff. There are certain bacteria in the gut that can produce histamine. Morganella is one species. And then the Klebsiella species, they're not all, not all of them, like Klebsiella pneumoniae, which we know of as being a potential autoimmune trigger for Hashimoto's does not produce histamine. But there are some other species like Klebsiella ornithinolytica. Um, th those do. And certain parasites also produce histamines. Mm -hmm. um, and then like mold and there's, there's a bunch. So um, yeah. we want, this is why it's so important to say my case is different. Even if I have the same diagnosis as someone else, I have to take a step back and evaluate what my exact issues are. So that way I can actually address them because maybe like, maybe I could do milk thistle, but maybe you cannot because you have an allergy and, and this is why not all supplements work for, for certain individuals either. That's really interesting about that. Cause as a kid, I actually had a ragweed allergy. So now I'm like, huh? Cause most of what I use for liver stuff is those things that you mentioned. Yeah. And Looks stevia, stevia is also in that family of ragweed. So that's another one. Um, if, I don't know if people have had an aversion to like, some people just like really don't like the taste of stevia. They don't, they find the aftertaste extremely off-putting, but I haven't been able to correlate if that's those individuals who may also have a ragweed allergy. I don't think I, yeah. I can, but that I've is come in across, the family. I've come across people who will get headaches or feel really sick mm -hmm. with stevia. And so that might be where that's coming from. Yep. That's, that's also very interesting. I had, a, oh, getting back to parasites and let's yeah. talk about this liver phase two liver thing, because, you know, a big part of my approach and it's sounding like yours too, is if your liver can't do its job, meaning like you're not going poop, <laughs> there's nowhere for all the crap to go. <laughs> Literally like, you know, like the toxins yeah. can't get out of your body because that's one of the biggest ways we eliminate stuff. And the other way is through the skin and through sweat. And so maybe you can share a little bit, um, around i constantly talk about poop on the show so oh, it's just, fine. Like, I talk one of my best episodes like the most response was from an episode about poop and parasites <laughs> so. not a problem i talk about poop all day with clients so yeah. i always tell clients i'm like you just have to be straight with me i'm not gonna judge you it's okay we gotta have a conversation about it um in terms of liver detox so i have this um pyramid that i created because i was like trying to think about people always asking where do i start and i'm um, okay. Let me think about how I can explain this. And I, so I came up with this pyramid and the things at the bottom are the most foundational. And so that's gut function and phase two liver detox. And so what happens is that, and this is what we don't account for, because it's always like, but I'm doing all the things I'm, you know, drinking this or whatever. So 
what we don't account for a lot of times is that the liver becomes depleted again of certain nutrients. And in phase two of liver detox, you need nutrients to make many of these pathways run correctly. A lot of these nutrients we don't make. So if we are a nutrient consumption factory, as opposed to the idea that most of us have that we actually make most things we need to thrive and survive, um, that's where this disconnect can really come up. And so for me, I like to first and foremost, get poop moving. So you want to be pooping one to three times a day. You want to try to optimize and support digestion as best as possible. I usually try to be extremely cautious with um, any uh, digestive aids that have the TAN HCL because simply because I have so many clients that actually end up having H. pylori. So I don't want to add more acid into the stomach, especially if you have a histamine overload case. I find that the TAN HCL can actually make the histamine overload worse. So I usually just stick with digestive enzymes only. Um, and then from there, adding in glycine. So glycine powder, not from collagen. I just, you just don't unfortunately know, like usually you need way more than what you're going to get from collagen. I love collagen, yeah. but like if, again, if you have a histamine overload problem, you can't do collagen because it's high in histamine. <laughs> so glycine powder is simple, easy, inexpensive supplementing with some of that. And then some vitamin B6, um, to really get the liver at least support it. That's like the, the basic, most bare, bare basic thing. And then from there, I sometimes like to use other amino acids that can also support liver detox as well, but no herbs, no B, no, no other B vitamins. Cause some people can be sensitive to B vitamins. Um, and then in terms of like how that plays into the gut and whatnot, and how this happens is that a lot of times, if there is a gut component to this, you have to keep in mind that those bugs produce waste. And while we would like to think that we just poop their waste out, that's not how it works. We actually, a lot of the waste goes through the gut lining and our liver has to deal with it. And those specific pathways, like the glycine pathway, right? I've mentioned glycine like three times already. So there's yeah. a glycine pathway has to actually deal with those waste products from the GI tract that are produced by bugs. And so if you also have a high load coming from pesticides, solvents, paint fumes, like all different sorts of things in your environment, your glycine pathways, what detoxifies that? And you have to have glycine. You have to have B6. You have to have these things in order to repackage them to get them out of the system. Um, and so that's why I focus on gut function and liver detoxification first, and then start moving further up. You get the system humming along, and then you can go in and start dealing with what's going on in the GI tract. Yeah. And it's so important because like we said, you can't deal with the GI tract until <laughs> the GI tract has somewhere to go. So exactly. You know. And if you, so that's a problem, like with constipation, mm -hmm. you're not able to get out your own waste products. That's problem number one. Number two, mm -hmm. if you're constipated and you're in a quote unquote, like kill phase, mm -hmm. you're sitting in things. I mean, yeah. that's not a lot of times like clients and I've seen it on symptom trackers because we, we do symptom tracking with the, our clients mm -hmm. in my practice. And 
there, you know, when it's interesting to see constipation goes worse and the flare and the skin and everything goes, they all go up together. And as soon as they get pooping, you start to see all the numbers come back down. So this is how important it is. Like, even if you do alter something in a protocol and you start to get constipated, your number one priority is to start using all your tools in the toolbox to get yourself pooping. You, sometimes one thing like mag citrate might work great, but then if you have a really extreme slowdown, you might have to add in some allergy juice. Sometimes I don't like to ever re- really rely on senna tea, but sometimes you just need like one or two cups to kind of get things moving again, because I just say that so for everybody who knows it can be an addictive um, yeah. laxative. So you really want to be careful with that. Um, but you have to use all the tools. Sometimes you got to pull them all out and that's okay, but we just don't want to get constipated. It's that important. Yeah. And if you are constipated all the time, like I talked to so many women who are like, I've never pooped normally in my entire life. I'm like, well, it's probably a big part of why you're here. Like, you know, you have to get, we don't want to also be reliant on all that stuff forever. Like there's got to be some discovery and okay, what's going on? Like, what are we missing? And, you know, a lot of things we're talking about, like B6 and glycine are, there's essential and non-essential nutrients. And so they're the ones that our body does not produce and that we need to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and B and B6 too is important just for like regular liver function. Like your enzymes, yeah. the ALT and the AST enzymes are, they they need B6 <laughs> to yeah. operate um, in order to make the conversions between sex hormones. You need B6. Like there's a lot of things we need B6 for. And um, again, while it's lovely to go, well, I'm just going to eat B6 rich foods. I've tried looking them up. You can't get, if you really have a need, you're just not going to get enough from eating yeah. B6 rich foods. It's not, they're not that rich when you actually sit down and look at how much is in there, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and especially, you know, I think the more we've gone through the agricultural boom, the less nutrient dense our foods are in general. So, you know, there's a time and a place for supplementation and this would be one of those we're talking about right now. Absolutely. Um, this has been incredibly interesting and informative for me. <laughs> I don't know about everyone else listening, but I am highly intrigued by this whole conversation. I'm going to go find some glycine and B6 after this. <laughs> um, also too, I can add to yeah. that. Glycine can be used as a sweetener because it actually tastes sweet. It doesn't have sugar oh. in it, but it's a sweet tasting amino acid. And there is some interesting research as well in, um, mostly in diabetic journals about mm-hmm. diabetics who've used glycine as a sweetener and how it can possibly be an, make a improvement to, uh, I believe their blood sugar control. So some of my clients will find that they really enjoy it. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You did as a sweetener. I don't care. Um, but then some people have found that it actually really helps them sleep at night. So they might mix some glycine with some magnesium, whether it's mag citrate or mag, um, glycinate, depending on whether they're diarrhea or they (laughs) constipated. (laughs) And that together can really actually help improve their sleep as well. And that just reminded me, the other thing that we talked about pre-recording here was circadian rhythm and skin. So maybe we can end on that note because that's super interesting. Yes. So your skin has its own circadian rhythm, which I like that kind of blew my mind. I was like, wait, I thought everything operated together. (laughs) The same thing. Like what? (laughs) Yes. And so what it what it mostly governs, it's most important for rashes. And it doesn't matter what type of rashes you have. So 
when you have healthy skin barrier function, part of it is to keep it's a separation, right? It's a wall, just like the gut barriers. You could think of them mm-hmm. in somewhat similar um, frames, states of states of being. Um, you know, obviously, this keeps the outside world out of our body. It is a right. layer of protection, but it also is there to help keep moisture in. And so, what happens is at night, the circadian rhythm of the skin causes an increased loss of water. So it's called transepidermal um, water loss. And so in cases, this is a lot of times why people with eczema, for example, mostly eczema will complain that their skin becomes more dried out at night, especially overnight. And that it also becomes increasingly itchy at night. That said, itchiness at night, you can see an increase due to also like bug activity. So bugs within the system become more active at night. So fungal organisms, bacteria, parasites, especially. So Um, You can't always just blame it on that. Um, But one really cool thing that I found in research was that zinc applied topically um, can help. So one of the storage spots is this epidermis of the skin, right? So it's one of the, like the top layers. It's not like the absolute top, but it's one of the top layers. And so zinc is stored there. And so when we apply something with zinc, to the skin, we absorb the zinc into that layer. And that zinc can help support better top um, transepidermal water loss. Um, Well, or decrease it, I should say. Um, It can also decrease itching and whatnot. And so it's interesting, there are a lot of nutrients that can be absorbed through the skin, vitamin, actually vitamin D, vitamin A, a lot of different things can, um, even biotin as an example. Um, but specifically when it comes to this, it, it might be a benefit to you, especially if you do have pretty bad rashes or they're really itchy to try applying some sort of zinc based cream. It, it may actually help, um, improve the quality of the skin and let, and let it sit overnight. I don't know if I do it during the day. Cause it's usually has a, a white opaque right? Yeah. tone to it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, and I would also encourage, and you can share, you know, how people can find you, but um, checking out some of your products and stuff, because that's the other thing I, and maybe, maybe we'll end on this note, but, you know, we put so much on our skin and there's so much bad stuff in it. And there's so like, you know, where, obviously you've created your own line of stuff just to kind of broach the subject, I'm guessing, and kind of give people what they need, but how do you recommend going about, like, if you're dealing with, you know, for example, I have clients with rosacea on their faces, like what, what are some things, zinc cream at night? Awesome. We can, we can test that out. Is there anything else? Yeah, that can be sometimes helpful. Um, the other thing too, that I would share is that, um, for some individuals and certain, certain skin issues, like perioral dermatitis, for example, can really be triggered by oils like almost all oils applied to that area. So just keep that in mind. You may have to go with more like aloe based moisturizer. Um, So I think simplicity is wonderful. And I'm all about like, you know, if you're not in that boat, try different things, try shea butter, try emu oil, try tallow, try 
Oh my goodness. There is definitely research. I know people go, but it's an omega-6, it's inflammatory, but on the skin, sunflower seed oils actually can be helpful. Um, I don't agree with coconut oil. So there's no coconut oil in any of my products because you just can't absorb it. It's too large of a molecule Mm -hmm. and it's just too occlusive of a barrier. And there's also a lot of coconut allergies. So I think you have to look at your skincare and say, how many ingredients are in this? And are all of these ingredients actually necessary? Now, there are some ingredients that they spell out in the scientific name. So it looks like a chemical, but it might not really be. So you might want to look it up and double check before you go, there's this in here. And then you find out it's, you know, there was like one of those food babe moments where she was getting all upset over vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) Because it said acetic acid and it's vinegar. So we want to be cautious with that. I understand that everyone likes to dig through products and dig through ingredient lists. But the same respect, you can be allergic to anything. There's actually, this is something I learned from one of my guests, Rachel Pontillo. She's been on the Healthy Skin Show a bunch. And she said, you can be, there's really no such thing as hypoallergenic. You can be allergic to anything. You can become sensitized to anything. And it may not be that particular ingredient, but it could be something that's in it. Um, you know, like the balsam of Peru is one example. Um, I've had clients that have developed all sorts of weird chemical sensitivities, like to formaldehyde, which is used on so many things that you would never know, like paper bags. Um, you know, and there's, this is where it gets complicated is we want to make sure that you're approaching things, look for simplicity, but the more irritated your skin is, um, you really have to educate yourself on what a skin infection is. Sometimes flares are infections and no matter what you try putting on your skin, it's not going to make it better. You need to see a doctor and you need to determine if it's actually an infection and address it. Um, but I would say, try and look for single ingredient formulas first, see if your what your skin can kind of tolerate. Um, in the summertime, jojoba can sometimes be really nice, which is, which acts more as like, a almost like the sebum of your skin as opposed to an oil per se. Um, but then simple ingredients, simple ingredient formulas and ask questions of the different companies. It's okay to ask questions. Um, and also, especially if you're going to put it in very sensitive areas, so like around your eyes and, or like inside your ears or anywhere in the like groin area, you want to be really, really careful just because it's natural. Doesn't mean it won't cause harm or damage that tissue. And, um, know that I've had, I've had numerous experts talk about the problems that there are of putting certain products around the orbital area because it goes in. My dad was an ophthalmologist. So I saw firsthand people come to the off his, into his office and his practice. So, um, just keep that in mind. You want to be really, really careful. It's okay to ask companies questions. And if they don't know the answer, that's okay too. Um, I usually try to just flat out, if I don't know, I'm like, I just don't think it's safe. That's my feeling. Cause I'd rather someone not get hurt or injured by using any of our products. If I'm just not hundred percent sure if it's okay in that particular area. So ask questions and try different things, ask for samples to test them out first and, um, know that if something doesn't work for you, that's okay, but it may work wonderfully for somebody else. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's such an important thing because anything health related is there's no, you know, Western medicine, we've tried so hard to just kind of lump everybody into one diagnosis and one treatment protocol. And like, that's it. But as you know, this has been really enlightening too. We're all unique and different and it's about figuring out what works for you and not, not everyone else. 
So thank you so much, Jennifer. Just, um, you know, if anyone wants to connect with you or learn more, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to my website, which is skinterrupt.com. If that's a little bit of a mouthful, healthyskinshow.com will get you there as well. I also have the Healthy Skin Show podcast that's available on every podcast platform where I talk about all of these different topics way in depth. (laughs) Uh, We're over 200 episodes at this point. And I'm also on Instagram as well at Jennifer Fugo uh, for those who are looking for more like daily content. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been very informative and enlightening for me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women, where we provide you with the tools, information, and inspiration you need to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. Each month, I will select one lucky subscriber to receive a special Impeccable Health sample kit from me. Also, I don't want to be working with you on your health only once or twice a week. I want to be in this conversation and in the trenches with you every single day. I invite you to join me at www.emergentwomenih.com for even more information, inspiration, and motivation to transform your health and become vibrant, energetic, and on fire. Until next time, remember to keep putting yourself first so that you can better serve the ones you love and the things you are passionate about.